0: Hey everybody, it's Ben, and I have one quick announcement before the episode begins. A few weeks ago, I was on an episode of WTM, also known as Watch This Movie, a podcast hosted by Eric and Brett, and we reviewed the classic 90s action movie, True Lie, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. I had a really great time as a guest on their show. And I also listen to their podcast they give really good movie reviews very thorough they go through the plot and it's really funny so go check them out and without further ado here's the episode <laughs> As usual, at least per the last couple episodes, Mr. Kevin Chan. Yes, sir. I'm back. Hello, hello. Also joining me is uh, Ziggy F. Baby.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, Chris, I'm back Chris. after
1: after missing the last episode. <laughs> you ba- with uh, you? You bailed, I bailed us and you guys, you Joe. guys actually had with Joe. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward. One? I'm looking forward to listening to that one. Um, I'm sure you guys had a lot of good stuff to to talk about. And, uh, speaking of guests, we have another one, two episodes in a row. Um, and it's, this is a friend of mine, um, who I've known since the COVID days early on in 2020 met in a film group. Um, he's a great guy. We talk a lot. Um, and actually we recently did a Frankenheimer retrospective as mentioned in past episodes here on the podcast. Um, so I'm I'm happy to introduce everybody to Nick Langdon, who is um, not only a friend, but he's also someone from Australia.
2: <laughs> I can do two <laughs> things at fun. once.
1: Yeah, thanks. So yeah, much,
2: thanks so much, guys. Great to be here. Great. Yeah, happy you. to
0: have you, Nick. And Nick was actually, I think, our first mailbag. So, yeah, you, you send a mailbag y- yes, in, um... <laughs> you might get invited on. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean it's a great one to one ratio. No, um, uh, Chris was soliciting um listener feedback, so I listened to a few episodes and uh, enjoyed what I heard, and uh, jotted down a few thoughts, which you uh, would then read on air.
0: And I tried to uh, uh do a ho- horrible accent, and I apologize for that.
2: <laughs> Apology gratefully accepted too. Um.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, Chris. Well, I guess Nick. Uh, what uh, what are we watching today? I think. I think we're just doing that from now on. Guests are, with within reason, allowed to pick the movie we're going to review. So, uh, Nick, what are we? uh, What do we watch for you?
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, interestingly, like the inspiration for this one actually does come from Chris because he is such an Alfred Hitchcock fan as well. So the movie that we're watching, or that we watched, I should say, is um, Richard Franklin's 1981 thriller, Road Games. And the sort of he, Richard Franklin is the um, sort of the, was the ultimate Hitchcock fan. He was this Australian guy, and he said he saw Psycho when he was 12 and it changed his life and wanted to become a director. And he was actually at um, USC, uh, University of Southern California Film School, in the late 60s, and he sort of tried to get a print of rope to show. And ended up having to contact Hitchcock's office and ended up speaking to Hitchcock himself. And you visit him on the set of a movie that you have previously covered, Topaz. Mm-hmm. That was, um, mm-hmm. So um, Richard Franklin was essentially, as a young student, stalking Alfred Hitchcock. And he got him to come to USC and give a talk. And uh, they actually remained friends up until um, Hitch's death in 1980. So if you've seen any other sort of Richard Franklin's films, he's a, he is actually such a Hitchcock fan, he ended up actually directing Psycho 2. But the origin of this particular one comes from his previous Australian film, the 1978 telekinetic thriller, Patrick. And that was written by another very interesting guy called Everett DeRoach, an American who got a job with the Queensland Public Service and moved out here when he was a fairly young man, but got bored with his government job and started submitting spec television scripts for cop shows that were being filmed in Australia in the 1970s. And he quickly got a, became a, a TV writer and then sort of moved into feature films. So... So Everett DeRoach and Richard Franklin collaborated on this uh, telekinetic thriller, Patrick, which Quentin Tarantino is a huge fan of. Um, he gushes over that. And there's a specific reference to Patrick in um, Kill Bill Volume One, if you're interested in that. And so Richard Franklin then showed Everett de Roach the script for Alfred Hitchcock's uh, rear window as an example of just how he wanted scripts to be formatted. But de Roche read the script and he knew the movie and he got so excited and he basically came back, as as Franklin said, with rear window on wheels. Mm-hmm. So that's sort yeah. of the background and lead up to Road Games, um, this sort of international, very Hitchcockian film. So I'll sort of... There's a bit of a historical background, so I'll sort of ask as a f- first impression uh, since I bought this film. What did you guys think of Road Games?
1: Well, I want to say before we start digging into that, that much appreciate your, your take and your lead into that. It's exactly what I expected, giving us a little background on the director for Richard Franklin. Um, you know, it's funny and I appreciate the fact that you recommended this because of my affinity for Hitchcock. So that is, that is duly noted, um, as we've talked about in past episodes. Um, But I, I, my first impression when while, you know, while watching my live impression was I, I saw and felt the rear window vibe, but I was actually feeling um, Spielberg's duel, which I think other people make that connection to that film. I haven't read too many of the reviews for this movie, but um, it feels very Duel-esque. If you guys have seen that, I'm, I'm not the exactly sure. But in the reverse, I've been yes. meaning
2: to see Duel. Mm. Oh, no, yes. I really, really... I, I actually rewatched Duel about a year ago, and it's fantastic, really, really holds up. And, you know, great, I've got a lot movie. of issues with Latter-day Spielberg, mm. but, man, he was a lean, tight filmmaker in the, the 70s.
1: That was his debut. Correct? It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a solid debut and it's oh. a as you say a tight film. It's it is very good, very well made. Um, uh, but Kevin Ben, what did you guys think? First impressions?
3: I was going to say uh, you know, I didn't really look into the trivia regarding Richard Franklin's uh, filmography, so I didn't know the uh, very stark and close-knit Hitchcock connections. But I did as I was watching the movie, I did see the hints toward Hitchcock and I was wondering how fast Hitchcock's name would be dropped once we started recording this episode and I think you guys beat me to it so uh yeah <laughs> it's very it's it's quite Hitchcockian and I I do think I I like I like the movie by the way um okay. I do think that you see the the similarities to you know Hitchcock's style however I do think that Richard Franklin has He's got more of an inclination to tease the audience, but never make fun of you. And I thought that was pretty strong in basically his uh, play of emotions, where you you think something's lurking in the background and then suddenly comes this overwhelming sense of relief. And suddenly uh, you're you're back to being distressed. And I I felt like that was it, it got to the point where that just became really funny to me. And I think that really begins uh, in the very first shot where you just see uh, Quid's truck pull up to the motel, and immediately with that much simplicity, you think, okay, something horrible is going to happen here. And then cut to a very young, abnormally young Stacy Keach. I'm not; I really am not used to seeing a young Stacy Keach, and that that threw me off for a little bit. I was like, wait, hang on a second, Stacy Keach. <laughs> I didn't even look at the cast before. Uh, before starting this film, but once you see him and he starts talking, suddenly a, a very overwhelming sense of relief comes over you, and it, it felt very unnatural, but also very, I don't know, very strong. And it's not really often you get to see that in in a filmmaker's style. So yeah, that's I, I what think those I, are.
1: I I definitely agree with you. I think it's it's overwhelming is a good word. Um, for what For what genre this is, like you want it to be overwhelming when it's leading you into the thrill and the suspense, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and Keech, Keech is charismatic as hell right oh like, yeah, very. he was a great pick, great pick for lead man in this, a trucker in the yeah. outback He's not a truck driver
2: <laughs> <laughs> he he's, a, he's a man who drives a truck <laughs> yeah, <Yes. the> difference.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Hitchcock thing is is obvious because uh, they even nickname Jamie Lee Curtis Hitch, which is obviously a, a nod to Hitchcock. Um, and then you have the, the magazine. So I was kind of thrown off because so so Chris has, uh we'll, we'll just keep dropping it, name dropping it, because Chris can't help himself and I'll just do it for him. <laughs> I, I watched it on Tubi, of course. And before I press play, I mean, the first thing it says, I think is the genre is, it might say thriller first, but then it says horror. And I was kind of thrown off because I'm expecting all this. I'm watching this movie and I'm expecting all this, uh, you know, just for, horror to me just means scary. And to me, it's this movie wasn't scary. It was it was thrilling. And I mean, I think uh, doing a little bit of research, this movie, uh, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, was kind of marketed as a horror movie. It was, it was marketed as a slasher. And that kind of played into why it didn't do so well with the expected audiences at the time. Yeah, that could be a part of it. The movie was fantastically
2: unsuccessful in Australia. Um, And again, I'm not sure why it is sort of, again, it's because of possibly because Richard Franklin, again, he's such a Hitchcock fan. It's, it's kind of got a bit of that late seventies, early eighties, kind of, there is some, there are, you know, like it starts with a, you know, a a naked woman being garroted. So you're kind of, that's kind of for the Mm -hmm. drive-in crowd. And of course, there's the final ending shot, which he put in again, because you've got to leave on a scare. But it is a bit more of a <laughs> and sort of 1950s, 60s sort of paced thriller. It's quite it's not it's not sort of that, you know, 1980s style roller coaster of terror sort of movie. It is a bit more it takes the time to build the tension. And again, take a shot every time we mention the word Hitchcockian, but in the <laughs> Hitchcockian <laughs> way as well. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I would um, that. It, it sort of does feel a bit of a film out of time as well. And the marketing was fascinating too. And again, like I'll just say that my introduction to this film was through – have you guys seen the 2008 documentary Not Quite Hollywood about the history of Australian exploitation films?
0: have heard of it, but uh, I have not. have not seen it. Yeah.
2: You really should check it out. It was certainly a very formative inspiration for me catching up with a lot of these, again, these genre films, these horror films, action films, like sex comedies, the stuff that they wouldn't wouldn't show you in high school and never gets shown on TV. Um, and, again, Quentin Tarantino is one of the talking heads. and He was just gushing about how much he loved this film as well, too. And it was... Um, The way about the slasher thing, too, actually, Chris and I, we watched a previous, I mentioned the writer Everett DeRoach, we watched the uh, 1979 film Snapshot, which is this, again, it's more of a psychological thriller, but it was sold to the US, to the drive-ins, under the very misleading title, The Day After Halloween. (laughs) Even yes. though it has absolutely nothing to do with John Carpenter's film. But as Quentin Tarantino points out in the documentary, he said, if if you were an exploitation film fan in the seventies, you had to get completely ripped off four or five times a year. <laughs> that was part of thing."
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, Nick, let me ask you, do you think that maybe part of the reason the film didn't do well in the box office were, were because of the two American leads, even though Jamie Lee Curtis you know, and I guess Stacey Keach to an extent are somewhat of a draw.
2: Yeah, well, it's hard to say. I mean, why do some? F- I mean, sometimes it's very obvious why a film fails, and sometimes it's why it succeeds. And again, it's very difficult with Australia because it's kind of a, a small market. Right. The, the The film was controversial for having the two American leads. They had a fight with Ac- Actors Equity, which is basically our version of like the Screen Actors Guild, the the union that represents actors, and they they had a bit of a, th- a fit about you know, having these two foreign leads in a domestic production, even though everyone else in it was Australian. And interestingly, this is about that um, Everett de Roche's previous film being marketed to the day after Halloween. The reason that Jamie Lee Curtis is in the film is because when he was at USC, Richard Franklin was classmates with John Carpenter. So that's how he got in touch with um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Small so, yeah, world.
4: It's
2: a- <laughs> Small world, yeah. It's hard to say again. I don't know why the film failed and i think stacy keach is great in it and it, they sort of like they say oh jamie lee curtis her character she's the daughter of the u.s ambassador or something they mentioned that she ran away from yeah. canberra and if you've ever been to canberra you'd want to run away too it's like washington dc <laughs> without the culture and the charm
0: um so before we move on since you brought up that um what was it called not quite hollywood the documentary not quite hollywood, yeah. so i'm assuming brian trenchard smith is somehow mentioned in that Yes, uh, he's, a, he's a very big part. Are you a fan of uh, his? So I made the connection watching this movie. Um, I'm not spoiling anything, but Mr. Smith, I guess, or Mr. Jones, played by Grant Page, was a stunt coordinator and stuntman. And he, uh, the connection I'm making is that he worked on a movie called The Man from Hong Kong, which starred Jimmy Wang Yu. Another, It's an exploitation movie from the 70s. And uh, Samo. Samo hung was in that movie so i just kind of made this connection like what the hell yeah. he's in that he's working with Samo and now he's working on this movie and he was on the stunt coordinator for mad max so kind of kind of an important guy
2: yeah sammo hung the action like the the, the fight choreographer for man from hong kong i can't recommend that film highly enough and i know you like your <laughs> 1970s hong kong films
0: i i own it on i own the uh region a blu-ray from twilight time so i, I like it yeah
2: and um I did I, I did meet Brian Trenchard Smith a few years ago. He was hosting a matinee double bill of two of his films, BMX Bandits and Frog Dreaming. Frog Dreaming was wow. another film actually written by Everett DeRoach.
0: <laughs> All the
1: connections. Cool. DeRoach so keep it, popping up. Yeah. yeah. It,
2: the Australian industry is very, very small, I think is the mm-hmm.
1: Oh it could be the takeaway. Fair enough. <laughs>
0: Just mentioning Grant Page, he I don't think he says a word in the entire movie. The uh the spoiler the killer at the end you know you find out he's the killer and you see his face finally um he was in a movie i know i have not seen i have it on my watch list or i guess he starred in it called stunt rock and i'm sure you've seen it nick i have um it's not
2: actually really a film it's basically a compilation of stunts from other movies mixed with a very rudimentary story mixed with performances (laughs) of a rock band who do magic tricks called sorcery um, yeah. If you're if you're interested in Grant Page, uh, Brian Trenchard-Smith also directed another film called um, Death Cheaters, uh, which is an actual proper film that co-stars Grant Page, and he plays a stuntman in that, appositely enough. Um, and that's sort of like there was that genre of like in. The late '70s, early '80s, with movies like Hooper and The Stuntman. It was called like stunt exploitation as well. So, Stunt Rock is kind of iconic, but uh, Death Cheaters is uh, again, if you really want to talk obscure Australian films, that's one to check out.
0: Okay, that's uh, cool. Are there any? Well, since we're on this topic and we're going to move on real quick, are there any other kung fu exploitation movies that are just like you got to watch this because I'm I'm down. <laughs>
2: Not so much like the kung fu one, no. Um, and of course, that was a co-production with like Hong Kong. Yeah. So like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. George, George
0: lazenby's is the the villain, so it's it got is, all yeah. the, oh. It's got a bunch of big names.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, I just had to had to throw in my Hong Kong hat because I I love that stuff. It that's was a great incredible. connection. It's a yeah. great connection, Ben. So yeah. the last thing I wanted to say about my initial, you know, um watching this. I, I do get a lot of the Hitchcockian kind of paranoia. Uh, with the focus on, um, I forget his first name, but Quid, uh, Stacey Keach's character, Patrick. Yeah, Patrick Quid. Yeah, I get a lot of that. I like the um, the psychological part where you know where, when he's driving the truck at night and no sleep, that kind of stuff. I love that. I mean, it it really built, like you said, it at the beginning of the movie, you have this. You know, the first person gets murdered and then kind of nothing really happens for like a long time. And it's just slowly increasing the temperature until you get to that, you know, till it's starting to bake, whatever, whatever kind of
1: the world. The world feels lived in. Like when you meet Keech, you, you feel like you belong in the cab with him a little bit. Like mm-hmm. he's just he knows the world that he's a part of. He's he's not a, he's a truck driver, but he's not. Um, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, when he's he salu- he, a little truck, <laughs> yeah when I mean, he soliloquies with, with his dog in the cab too like he just the dude just grabs it by the reins so and I, I have like three scenes
0: written down and one of them the first one is this is one of the soliloquies uh, is, is it okay if i play that now yeah, yeah so. by all means
4: hello been away on holiday eh lovely mm. <laughs> the Fred Frugal and his wife, Frida. Frida Frugal. But she's a real dragon. You should have turned right at the last left turn. I told you, but you never listen. Poor guy. I bet he's in a come Maybe a school teacher.
0: <laughs> That's just what a great example. <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. I have a couple uh, more scenes, but uh, I, I, you, got, you brought that up. Stacy Keach, his just monologue with himself is like just so cozy and I'm like you like you said uh chris you wish you were in the cab with him having these conversations like yeah
1: yeah the dude is effortless. so casual <laughs> yeah it's effort it's effortless he's so casual and he's he's his own character like he's he's a unique character mm-hmm. in this genre for sure like i would be able to refer to this guy when talking like film at large
2: yeah i think it's also like you mentioned that you've got someone like keitch who is so you know you just empathize with this guy because it's so important because you're essentially with him for the basically every single scene in the film yeah. and the reason that the dog is there is so he has apart from his soliloquies as you mentioned he does <laughs> have someone he can talk to which is to say the <laughs> dog so again it's really like a pretty much a single hander of a movie so again that that central casting is crucial to the film and one of the reasons I think it succeeds as much as it does
0: that that dog all right it's, they say it's a dingo. is it an Australian yeah. cattle dog instead? Apparently, the dog was
2: like some sort of mongrel that had enough dingo in it to look like a dingo, but it wasn't a dingo. <laughs> it was actually a dog. So I didn't know that. At the okay. end, when it barks, and it's like that's the big revelation. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it wasn't a dingo.
0: I grew up with an Australian cattle dog that looked like kind of like this. Bos- Boswell, yeah, that's his name, right? Yes, Boswell. Boswell. So yeah. I had to, I had to bring that up because this is an Aussie centric episode.
1: Well, so not to take away from the dog, but to go back to Keech I want to just say that I had not realized until watching this movie and then going to his profile that he is an actor of Shakespearean proportions. Which I think, having so much theater background, I I, I think is what elevates his role here. Mm so much because he can he's alone most of the time other than with the dog but he has the clear skill level to just kind of wax poetic on mundane things um and i i personally sort of think that's a that's the trait of the shakespeare shakespeare theater in general
3: i would agree yeah i would agree chris because i mean with shakespeare of course you're, you're hitting the melodramatic levels with as much energy as you can muster so I would think that a role like this would be, yeah. well, that's why I say like he was just effortless in his delivery, it was like he didn't even it, think twice about it, he just did it and then it came off as perfect as it was So, and I'm
1: not going to say there's iambic pentameter or anything like that in, <laughs> here, in here but
3: to
1: go, to go to that last scene the way he just says like Frida frugal, you know like he's, he's playing mm. with words and it just works <laughs>
3: probably an accountant yeah definitely an accountant (laughs) i love that
1: (laughs) he hits the beats like i just have all praise for keach in this like this is that is my that is where all of my praise i think well not all of it but that's that's where i want to center it because he just handles his role so well
3: he was a standout of the movie for me yeah 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 definitely keach a lot of memorable lines too mayday mayday (laughs) i i don't know I, i could go on and on but i won't
2: and That's they put the the the, the, fun, the 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 sort of the cheapest joke, but it's still very good in the trailer. In the trailer, when he's looking at the guy with all the balls, and says, "Now there's a man with balls." <laughs> yeah. he, it's a cheesy line, but he, the way he sells it, it's like it's almost with admiration. And again, just that that delivery. And I said, if you're going to spend like a hundred minutes in a, basically a truck cab with this guy, it better be someone yeah. that you like. He's, right.
1: he's amused with himself, which is cool, <laughs> you know. Um, but and this, also this goes, since but, you
2: brought up Jewel before about that sort of like, what are the, we talk, we're we joking about that repeated jo- line of, you know, a man who drives a truck and not a truck driver. But what are the cliches about truck drivers, especially the way they're often depicted in films? You don't yes. tend to see many heroic truck drivers.
1: Yeah, that's, that's totally true. And I think if you say the word, or the words truck driver to your usual person or everyday person, they probably have a derogatory picture in their head as you know, it's, it's not going to be um, what's the word. It's not going to be an impressive picture. It's right. Truck drivers are usually kind of like low on the yeah. totem pole.
2: And yeah. even in the film, he was basically saying, I don't pop pills because he's sort of pushing back against the cliches of this yes. industry. And he's, he's reciting poetry Yes. Um, so there's sort of maybe there's a merge between the actor and the character there that that you know well, gosh, keeps the theatrical then, background makes for a more more theatrical truck driver.
1: There's a, there's another great line that just popped into my head when he gets pulled over by the cops and the guy goes,
4: "What are y'all hauling?"
1: and he goes, "Pigs." <laughs> like I just I it's just perfect, perfect. Um, but so to go, Kevin mentioned this right from the get go. You said the the words tongue in cheek. In relation to Hitchcock. And uh-huh. yeah. Franklin is totally aware of that aspect of Hitch's Auvoir and his skill set here too, because we're talking about the dialogue and Keech's performance, and that that just all melds together pretty fluidly. And Hitchcock mm-hmm. Hitchcock loved to be tongue in cheek. Um maybe not oh, yeah. so much maybe not so much in an obvious sense, but when he played with those marital and sexual themes, um he, he got very playful.
3: It was very sly. It was embedded in into the into the story. It was almost like you know, from a glance, you probably wouldn't even realize it until you gave it another, gave it a second rewatch of sorts. Right, and that's the difference between Hitchcock and Franklin. Franklin, it was like he really wanted to, he really wanted to tell you that he was uh, he was teasing you.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> so yeah. you know that really came off as funny to me.
1: Well, and speaking of teasing, um, I don't know if Ben has this scene saved up either, but there's the scene where the suspense starts to. Heat up a little bit and they're They're at the auto shop in the bathroom And they think they have The killer I do have, and, I like, do have that one <laughs> I, well, so I don't this, know if it's the exact spot But I have part of that Yeah. So this scene They think they have the killer because they see the van And he's with Jamie Lee Curtis now So he's with Hitch And mm-hmm. they're like okay we're going to get this guy But this, this whole scene plays out And he, he, they think that he's in the bathroom And not in the van so she she goes to the van to see what she can find. And he stays at the door. And it's really kind of funny. Like it's suspenseful, but like each goes in and out of the bathroom like five times with the dog. In the sand, yeah. <laughs> trying to catch this guy with his pants down, literally. Uh, and <laughs> let, let me let me
0: play the scene then. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. You're skipping around on me, Chris, you're making it hard. Sorry, <laughs> dude all Just right
2: you. your, your your um your anecdote should be in chronological order i think <laughs>
1: i gotta keep Ben <gasps> on
4: his toes you know there's no way out except down the s-bend or through me cowboy i'm talking to you mr smith or freaking jones or whatever your name is oh i'm sorry mate i thought it was somebody mm-hmm. else i apologize, I apologize really I- I- <laughs> sorry mate <Yeah?
0: laughs> didn't mean to harass you in the bathroom <laughs> that wasn't even like the, the, the worst of it
1: like one of the first times he was the
0: meanest <laughs>
2: Was so was <laughs> supposed to threaten death, and then I apologize.
1: Yes. The movie does a good job of setting Keech up. So this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with how he talks to himself in his cab. Like, if the dog wasn't there, we would kind of think he's a little crazy, and the movie tries to make him seem like that to all these outsiders because he's acting so weird. Like, he's he's yeah. vol- he's volatile, and they're seeing him act crazy, and he's not actually the killer, but they kind of sort of think that he could be this guy killing all of these girls. Right. Yeah. And
2: the, the start when he's like really sleep deprived and he has to do the, get up at five o'clock and do that job. And yeah. again, what Chris was just saying, this sort of setting up going is, This guy being clear-headed or is he sort of in this fog of sleep deprivation and too many hours on the road and he starts to see things and he's spent too long just talking to himself and talking to his dog and (laughs) is his imagination getting away with him? And again, like in Rear Window with Jimmy Stewart being limited in his perspective, he kind of is filling in the gaps of what he thinks he knows or... He's, yeah, it, it, that sort of, yeah. It, it's like you, you've got that incredibly subjective perspective, again, because pretty much we're always either in the cab of the truck or looking at the truck.
1: Well, and it, it hints to Rear Window's themes about voyeurism and human nature always, for what you said, lack of a better word maybe, but filling in the gaps on our judgments of other people. It totally fills that, that space that Hitchcock enters with Rear Window.
2: Again, take a shot every time we mention Hitchcock.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, Fair enough. we have some drunk listeners then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Does anybody want to go to another scene or what do we want to do next?
0: Uh, I'll mention, and I'm sure Nick is aware that this at the time in, I guess, 1979, 1980, when they started filming was the highest budgeted Australian movie ever, which is kind of crazy to me.
2: Yeah, and they sort of talk about that in the, um, that again, the documentary, but of course you've got to think about in the sort of 1970s, the population of Australia was not sure, like 10, 12 million. It was a very, very small place. And the film industry itself was also quite small too. And... There really wasn't a budget, and even this one was co-funded with Avco Embassy, um, an American distributor who I think did the Fog and some other stuff with Carpenter as well. There's another connection there too. So, it, like some of these films did have foreign money in it, which is, and again, why they would also cast a, an actor like Stacy Keach to sell the picture overseas versus you know you could put some australian actor in the role and he might be good but he's not a name outside this country and again even like australian actors aren't right. even in this country mm-hmm. all yeah, the most famous they're... australian actors now of course they're all in hollywood <laughs> yeah they're all in yeah. hollywood <laughs> yeah
0: very true for that scene I, I did before we get away from it i the Fred Flintstone and Vel- and Wilma like yeah. on the the bathroom just like was so random. I had I had to bring that up. Like why?
1: <laughs> I appreciate you mentioning that because that's something you would say. Y- yes, yes, <laughs> yes, it, yes, it is. Oh yeah, and I forgot about it until you mentioned it. But yes, their pictures were just right on the door there.
2: Well, that whole scene in the in the roadhouse there, he sort of originally thought about having like a, it was a you know going to be I don't know a McDonald's or a KFC or something in the middle of the outback, and even that three hundred and sixty degree pan shot when he's on the phone, and you sort of you've got this like it's like every single uh, sort of cliche kind of mashed together. So you've got this weird artwork on the wall of like the Aboriginal people of Australia being enslaved, but then there's, uh, you know, American pinball machines as well. And then there's Coca-Cola and there's all of these sort of, you know, the idea of like American capitalism in the middle of European Australia, in the middle of this vast Mm -hmm. continent as well. And this sort of, that's, that scene, he built that whole roadhouse set here in Melbourne just to sort of throw as much visual interest as possible in that one shot because so much of the movie is very empty and spare you've got the loneliness of the road and these massive shots of like the nullarbor plane this the like one vehicle and then just sort of nothingness and that's what the drive to perth is like you know it's sort of almost like four kilometers of nothing
1: yeah and i read in the trivia that the movie's inaccurate in that way with uh how long it would have taken him to get to perth um, because I think it's like well, the movie takes place over like half a day. And I think the drive to Perth would take like a day and a half driving well, straight no, it, or something like that.
2: Lot, it, it would take a lot longer because again, the, uh, the different, they said the Australia is about the same size as the lower 48 states of the U S
1: Okay, Melbourne and okay.
2: Perth are on opposite sides. So this would essentially be like driving from, you know, New York to Seattle, the California. Yeah, yeah okay California. you couldn't it would be days and days and days but they didn't shoot all of that too so it's sort of more that he starts around Melbourne and then they get to the Nullarbor, skipping the entire state of south australia which is a place that was, <laughs> you know and south australia if you don't know it's maybe twice the size of texas it's a very large place okay but, okay
0: and this is gotcha. back this is back in the 80s when i'm assuming the highways were not as good as they are now in the U S like you didn't just in the seventies and eighties, it took three or four days. Now you can probably do it with two drivers, two truck drivers and like a nu- two nights, probably it's like, I have a friend mm-hmm. that drove there in a car, not a truck, but I think 38 hours they got there from, from my side of Maryland to uh, California, but who would want to do that? Only crazy people. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 And yeah, I, the, I have to say, I, I appreciate there were some, just to bring up the shots. Cause we're talking about the, the drive. Um, the, is the road really that close uh, close to the to the seaside? Because there were some pretty intense shots where. It was like right yeah, on the I cliff.
2: Mean, they, they, they picked the most scenic parts of it, too. So that's like what's called the great Australian bite. And the the the, the road across does go to, close to the coast there where you got those dramatic okay. cliffs. A lot more of it is just flat and featureless and dead straight. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they obviously chose the bits that were of the most visual interest um, to pick.
1: Yeah, fair enough. For the movie, that makes sense. It'd be like filming something in Nebraska here to throw shade yeah. to throw to yeah. throw some yeah. random shade yeah. at N- nebraska yeah now we're gonna get hate, like...
0: hate mail <laughs> <laughs> i look forward well, I mean, to that
1: i i grew Sorry up on like reading like,
2: bill, bill bryson books and he's incredibly rude about iowa he always says that in iowa you could stand on two phone books and get a view uh...
1: yeah Ooh. right exa- exactly i like iowa <laughs> oh
2: do you <laughs> well, he, he was I
4: born
3: love iowa. In iowa. So a, i was in Moines. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, he has he, well, got if that. If you don't app,
2: know Bill, Bill Bryson, the author, he was born in Des Moines, so he he's like I can be rude about Iowa because you know he's from
1: there. there. I'm from there. <laughs> yeah. Makes well, sense. I
2: say the same
3: thing about California. I can be rude about
2: California
0: too. Because you're from there.
3: Just as everybody, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um.
0: So so Nick, is there anything like obviously this is besides the two leads, which we haven't even really gotten to the talk about Jamie Lee yet, but besides the two leads, they're the most on um Australian things in the movie, what are some things in the movie that are like I guess the director Richard Franklin or somebody on the production like kind of lied about like this isn't really an Australian thing that they may be
1: took liberties, tra- yeah, yeah,
0: like oh yeah, it's really Australian, but it's not like is there anything that just is glaringly like kind of a a little lie? There's one funny anecdote the um when he gets the you mentioned the pig
2: scene when he gets pulled over by the cops, so That's like, there is like highway patrol here, but again, because of the way that Australia is compared with the US, in the sort of up until like the last sort of 20 years, regular kind of cops on the beat didn't carry guns. So in the 1980s, the highway patrol, they might have had a gun in the car, but they wouldn't have worn it on their, they didn't have like holstered pistols. So when they were filming that scene, the real cops turned up and their uniforms weren't <laughs> as cool as the movie cops and they didn't carry guns like the movie cops did as well. So they were a bit upset about that because fantasy was much <laughs> better than reality there as well. That's amazing. And another thing too is that um, back to Richard Franklin's previous film, Patrick, this also happened with like the original Mad Max is that when they sold it to like the drive-ins in the US, they did an American dub of They dubbed it from English into American English. Mm. And Richard Franklin was very upset about that. So because he had the two U.S. lead, a lot of the every other character has a very sort of pretty thick Australian accent. And there's a lot of very interesting voices there, too. Like, was it Frida, the woman he mentions, uh, the, the wife of the accountant yep. who he ends up picking up after they have such a fight? She gets kicked out of her, you know, own car. <laughs> <clears throat> So about. that was quite funny as well. Um, so he sort of played up how Australian it was, as sort of a contrast. I said with these two, two weirdly international leads, and it's also interesting too that they never really comment that they're two Americans who've met in the middle of Australia. It's just kind of accepted and sort of moved on. Right. But I yes. also think that could again be part of that the way that said the writer, that American Australian writer Everett De he sort of wrote more international films so and again i thought it might also be interesting to get sort of see how you look at this because i'm assuming that you guys don't watch as many australian films as i do
1: well i, <laughs> I thought so i thought of that connection with the two leads but i think the film sort of answers that question when they mention that she mm-hmm. is the daughter of the of, of a, U- a u.s ambassador right um yeah so i i think that that's sort of suspended disbelief or whatever you want to call it i I think that sort of answered it for me um i don't know about you guys i mean this
0: movie's definitely not as uh it's not as australian as uh crocodile dundee i mean come on no (laughs) (laughs) which is funny
2: because that was really made again of course and paul hogan got a job promoting australia on american television you know i love that was Yeah, so I did rewatch really <laughs> Crocodile Dundee recently too, and like they really kind of played that up. But of course, the whole point of Crocodile Dundee, a bit of a sidetrack, was that the you know he was playing this character, this large and life character called Crocodile Dundee, and that's what attracted like you know the American reporter and the international press. So the whole point of it is, even in the movie, he's ginning up this you know very stereotypical outback Aussie character. That he sort of played. So you don't yeah, have the, you don't actually, have
0: a knife like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you can buy a knife like that, I'm sure. But um, oh yeah.
0: yeah, that's a knife. <laughs> Love that. Sorry, I, I derailed you.
3: There's <laughs> a goes, Ben with the Australian accent there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it, yeah I, I, the, people can't resist that line, but it's such an irresistible film. You know, it's cliched as hell, but it's such a good time. You know, I'll defend <laughs> crocodile.md. I know it's, it's, it's not fashionable to say that's a good film, but it is.
0: I, it I'm is sure there's film. plenty of uh, <laughs> of your sta- statesmen that would be pissed that you said that, that you liked that. like <laughs> is it is it hated or loved there? I would assume that's like mixed.
2: Well, I mean, Paul Hogan was an intro This is a real sidetrack here. He was actually not even an actor. He was a guy who was a painter on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And he just was on this like talent show in the 1960s. And he was such a character basically as himself. He sort of went from being a painter to a TV comedian pretty much overnight. And so he sort of always played that up. Um, And this is like, again, if you look at the history of Australian film, there is this idea of the, um, what we call like the cultural cringe, that we have always felt a bit inferior in this country that, you know, our sort of, we lacked a lot of culture. And then, of course, when it came to the cinema, it's very difficult to compete with Hollywood. So, you know, everyone grows up watching American films and seeing the big production value and the big stars. And then we feel like. And this was what was interesting again. They talk about it in that Docker, which again, not quite Hollywood. I encourage everybody to watch. It's really interesting. They talk about in the 1970s, you had the sort of two strains. You had this respectable art house movement, the Australian New Wave movies like. Picnic at Hanging Rock, The Getting of mm. Wisdom, Breaker Morant, Mor- and Raves and. But then the other side of that was the Brian Trenchard-Smith, the horror films, the action films, the you know ch- cheap sex comedies, these genre films. But they were very much sneered at for being like too, like oh why do we need to make those? We can watch cheap crappy American genre films. Why do we need to make those? Here, that have nothing to do with Australia. But I disagree. And I think some of these Australian genre films are very characterful and do say a lot more than, you know, some worthy costume drama about the 19th century or some, you know, okay. very sad and socially relevant stuff about the treatment of Indigenous people. But it's not much fun. You know, I do like fun movies as well. So mm-hmm. why not yeah. make a Hitchcocky and Thriller on wheels across the outback? You know, why not? It's mm-hmm. fun
1: yeah yeah and i'll i'll vouch for a picnic at hanging rock any day of the week like that's that is just an excellent film
2: i just rewatched that one as well too it's a great film i'm not having a go at that but it was more like yeah a, yeah, was, yeah. The, the, the sort of the the chattering classes would go yes these are the type of australian
0: films we should be making
2: yeah
1: no i don't need to
0: worry about the man from hong kong
1: <laughs> yes understood
0: understood oh, you need to worry yeah. about the man from hong kong jimmy wang you will kick your ass man well, not anymore <laughs> he passed away but yeah It's interesting that this was like such a big budgeted film, like I brought up before. But do you think that a lot of that was maybe Keech's and Jamie Lee Curtis's like like was half the budget just paid to get them there? Or and I mean, you
2: got to say big budget is a relative term. It was like a million dollars Australian or something at the time. It was a very very small. Like the the one that really broke the bank was I think in when they did Mad Max Two, like shortly after this mm-hmm. and that cost i think eight million dollars australian and everybody lost their mind at how expensive that was of course went on to be a massive international hit um yeah but um yeah it, it, so it's still very cheap but probably expensive for an australian film and actually the th- reason that jamie lee curtis is not in it is that the character was written before the actress was cast as i mentioned before he sort of just got uh on to Jamie Lee by talking to John Carpenter, and of course, there's another Hitchcock connection because, of course, she's the daughter of Janet Lee from Psycho, his favorite, the film that yeah. made him want to become a filmmaker. <laughs> so yes. it was weird to have a, an actress who was like, again, this is like the uh, you know like a year after Halloween or something when this is being made, such a high-profile actress in what is a small part in really the second act of the film because after she gets kidnapped, we're kind of just back to Quid and the Dog.
0: and I think that honestly is I I get why they did that because it was a, it was a character driven, like it was a single character driven story. Um, But I think that's one of the biggest weaknesses of the movie is that you, I don't really care that much about Jamie Lee Curtis being kidnapped because you don't have time to like spend with the character to even care about it, you know? And that's, that's like the biggest weakness to me.
1: I think it's a fair critique. I think, I think as a viewer, like you sort of care more, but I, I, I was going to say, I think you, we observe Keech's care for her character more than we would care for her character. But I think that's even incorrect because he sort of just kind of goes, ah, forget about her. You know, yeah, at hope, that point, I mm-hmm. hope she steals his yeah, wallet. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> I can't even really make a proper defense that way. But um, I think that's a fair critique. That's my biggest. Yeah, like, I, I, lo- I love a lot
0: of it. Oh, you, and since you brought up, uh, Mad Max 2 didn't Brian May not from Queen didn't he score both movies yeah so
2: he did he did yeah he's yeah. another <laughs> one like you'll see again because it's such a small industry you'll see the same names over and over like Everett DeRoach and that and a lot of the iconic Australian films of this era were scored by Brian May including the first two Mad Max films and yeah I'll agree with um, you especially I think like um, Ben's point You, if you were readers if you go okay if we had Um, Jamie Lee from the start, you would restructure the film to introduce her earlier and what Chris was saying, like build up that relationship between her and the quid character, because she kind of just like turns up randomly, as said, as this hitchhiker and then sort of disappears. And it it, it does seem unbalanced as far as they want you to have this, you know, get invested in the relationship that developing the sort of like father daughter kind of thing between the two of them. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is a bit of a structural flaw of the mm-hmm. film that she's sort of introduced mm-hmm. too late and leaves too early.
0: And they had the chance. I mean, I mean, I think they were insinuating that it was her every time he'd pass a hitchhiker on the road. And we're, I think with they're the trying hat. to say yeah. it was her. Like, just yeah. do it one last <laughs> right. time. Pick her up earlier, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, I do have my last scene is with them discussing in a very Hitchcockian way. Take another shot.
4: After you have one little sippy poo, <laughs> you gotta have two sippy poos
0: the murders and how they would murder people. So I'm going to play that clip uh, real quick.
4: So you ran away? No, I walked away. Well, Hitch, don't you think it might be a good idea to call him and let him know that you're all right.
3: God, maybe that's how he gets his rocks off your father. No, you're Mr. Smith or Jones. You know, the Boston Strangler was on a sex trip. God, maybe make love to him
4: afterwards. Oh, come on. Hitch. Well,
3: why do you think he does it?
4: I don't know. I mean, I really don't know that he does I must get carried away about this.
3: Are you kidding? It's the most fun I've had all afternoon.
4: Okay, I've got a game. Good, Scrabble. The cliffs? No. Let's call it the Smith or Jones game. Sounds interesting. All right, now, let's assume that there is a method to his madness, that everything he does is for a logical purpose, right? Okay. Okay, now he's just killed a girl. Did he make love to her first? I don't know. What's the difference? It makes a lot of difference. I think in order to play the game
3: properly, we have to know what he thinks of women.
4: It's my game. Okay, Sherlock. It's the method we're interested in. Now, he's just killed this girl. Now, how does he destroy the evidence? Cuts it up. Yeah, but why? Um. So the pieces won't be found. Yeah, but pieces don't prove anything. I mean, you can put an arm or a leg out with the garbage, and it proves nothing, right? It's ridiculous. Yeah, but it's the law. I mean, you can lose an arm or a leg without necessarily being dead, right? Yeah, but, but it... if you lose your torso, you are definitely dead. But
0: if you lose your torso, I think you've had That's it. fine. Nice. But... all right, we'll we'll stop it there. Otherwise, we'll keep going. <laughs> we'll just watch the movie. We'll finish the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I just like they should have had that. I she I, they brought her in like five minutes before this, but this is halfway into the movie. Almost like mm-hmm. they should have had her in like the first 20 minutes, like right after they got rid of that, uh, the older lady, like bring her right in. And yeah. then I care about her getting kidnapped, but that's just mm-hmm. me being super critical. <laughs>
1: no, it's a, it's a fair point. I mean, it's yeah, a character driven, it's a character driven genre film. And um, I mean, we've already discussed like if they had the actress beforehand and they structured the character around her, this probably wouldn't have been uh, a problem right? Honestly,
3: yeah,
0: I'm still... Yeah. Even, and, and like, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm, shocked that, I'm shocked that they still casted her after Halloween.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure yeah. about that one. too. But again, also just like, if there's really good dialogue there. Like, and I mean, as much as there I enjoy is. the soliloquies and talking to the dog, like, the, it really sparks up when you've got the two of them. And I think, again, the film could have, like, again, just what Ben said, introduce her earlier at sort of, you know, like, 20-minute mark or something, as opposed to, I think she turns up at about minute 40. And sort yeah, of have more a of lot those before. scenes.
1: Yeah, it that scene is good, too, though, because as Nick is saying, complimenting the dialogue there, it, it does hearken specifically to, say, the conversations that Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart have in Rear Window, where they're going back and forth. I mean, they're talking about the killer here, but like Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart obviously go start talking about themselves and their relationship. But it, it's very it's very similar to that. Definitely.
2: Yeah, because you start we'll off in Rear thing. Window with just him by himself, and then of course there's that wonderful shot where you see like Grace Kelly turn. And so again, just
1: <laughs> yeah, yes. Sorry, this would make so, a good somebody, double feature with. Uh...
2: No, it's
3: fine. This would make a good double <laughs> feature with uh, Rear Window.
1: <laughs> in a triple think. feature, I would throw a Duel in there. I really think like oh, I, I was yeah, okay. I was thinking Duel a lot more than Rear Window, even though like the Hitchcock essence is there. But like Spielberg sort of captured that too with Duel. And I think I'm just making that Mm -hmm. connection obviously because of the vehicle is in the forefront and -hmm. it's in reverse, but still.
2: And of course, like North by Northwest is almost a bit of a road movie too, which is weird because, of course, again, they've combined the confined location and the road. And that's what makes it a sort of this such an interesting genre hybrid.
1: Right. Right. That's exactly right. Because Cary Grant is moving from place to place. And in that one, Hitchcock is just capturing all of these different locales, I- iconic mm-hmm. as they are. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, again, it's another diversion, but have any of you guys seen Psycho 2? you Have Richard Franklin essentially doing Hitchcock? Or...
1: That is, I
2: haven't. No, now is, I do.
1: <laughs> I, I've, I've wanted to see that movie for years. It's been on my watch list, and I have not seen it yet.
3: What do you yeah, think? I, wa-
1: I, wa- uh... I want to see Sorry, not to cut you off, Kevin. I want to see Psycho 3 okay. and 4 too. Not that those are any good or anything, but <laughs> I've heard good things I, honestly, about Psycho 2.
3: Yeah, yeah, I was going to say like I mean, Nick, uh, do you think that Richard Franklin was a worthy successor to continue if I I'm, I'm not sure if Hitch I don't think Hitch even wanted to <laughs> create sequels for Psycho. <laughs> of course, definitely not. But would you think that he was a worthy successor to continue that um, that film as a franchise after Hitchcock. Again, I, it would Being be purely
2: speculation because I I haven't seen it either. I'm sort of interested. Oh, in you haven't too. seen should...
3: it either. Oh, okay. No,
2: no. And one of those I like thought I thought you did. Feel like, like Psycho was spoiled for me mostly by The Simpsons. It's sort of one of those films <laughs> like you, you knew all the key moments, and then when you actually saw it, it was a bit of a letdown. Just because uh, again, there was nothing that was, everyone's been ripping it off for fifty years, and nothing right. seems uh, fresh anymore. Right, well, yeah. <laughs> and of to, course, this, the success of Road Games did get him that directing gig, and of course, that was a okay. pretty minor horror hit. So he he got some success, and it led to better things for for Franklin for after this film.
3: Interesting.
1: Well, to flex, Kevin, a little bit on your question there with some Hitchcock yeah. knowledge, um, <laughs> it's interesting that <laughs> I'll just do it. You br- you're, you're bringing up. <laughs> I am. I am going to do it. So you know you're you're asking the question about sequels and have Hitchcock ever wanted to yep. do sequels and if that was ever in yep. his mind? Well, the interesting uh, thing is Psycho is actually a remake of Vertigo, and this could be a whole like thesis and huh. like we and like you could really go into it. But the Oedipus complexes between Scotty and um, Mr. Bates and it, all of this mm-hmm. is connected. And if you were to really like kind of analyze the movies side by side, you would really sort of see that. And based on the box office numbers and what happened behind the scenes with Hitchcock and Jimmy Stewart, um, and then what happened with Hitchcock and Psycho, hmm. basically, in a nutshell, Vertigo didn't do well in the box office, and that, right, tore, that, apart Jimmy, that tore apart the relationship between Stewart and Hitch, because um, Hitch, Hitch, like, Hitch thought it was Jimmy Stewart's fault. Um, right,
3: right, because Stewart was old at the time, right? I think Hitch yes. thought that was just not a good draw for audiences.
1: Correct, but he also his yeah. also in the back of his head was like, "Oh, the people don't understand me right now." So when uh-huh. he made Psycho, he wanted it to be in their face. So when Jeez, when I he was filming, when he was filming Psycho, obviously the famous shower scene and everything, it's in your face like that. It changed cinema forever. But that's where he, that's how he sort of pushed the envelope, um, and where that inspiration came from. Other than the fact that you had the source material, um, but it's it's a very it's a very similar character motivation um, and analysis when you see the movies side by side. Um, and there. It, you, when I say you can go deep into it, there's, there's a lot there. So to go on my tangent here, it's interesting you, you phrase the question saying that it, you know, if Hitchcock ever wanted to do sequels to psycho, because he was already doing sequels and remakes of his own material while he was alive.
3: Uh-huh. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Well. Yes. Yes. Big, but- big, big piece of trivia there for you. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> what, are, big, big, yeah.
0: what are we on? Like, are you like, everyone's had a handle of whatever is their poison so far, right? Like, you said Hitchcock like mm-hmm. 30 times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. That, Wait, that's-
3: Chris, I mean, I know, I, I know that, it, like, I, I think I knew this once and you just basically reignited that spark in me. But I, yeah, what were the other, fi- since we're on here now, yes. what were the other films that Hitch had remade? um uh besides okay. uh, psycho and vertigo
1: if i well the obvious one off the top of my head because i'm not going to remember all of them off the top of my head he remade yeah. a movie called and i'm probably going to get the order wrong so i'm not as much of an expert as i claim i am but um mm-hmm. he made a movie called mary and he made a movie called murder and they're the exact same movie but done oh. and i think they were and i think that one was actually done within a year of itself because he was so unhappy with the first product. He decided to remake it again. Um, and that was also a difference between what actors he had access to, because in one movie he had, he had all German actors and then in the remake he was able to do with English actors. So yeah. So like that's just one difference, but there's a lot of other things that he had changed between the two movies. Um, so and the that's, reason
3: why, as to why he made he created these remakes or sequels, was because basically of disappointment with his first
2: installment. Well, he
1: famously that, did that
2: with the man who knew too much. He did the version in the third. Yeah, that,
1: yeah, that's he, an that even, was, that's the, that's, I was an thinking even yeah, that's the one. That's an even better example. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, and that was um, I was of. That's that's another great example, and that's obviously a remake of the one that he originally did. Um, a straight remake, like the titles are the same and everything. Um, but when you start to retread, he liked to retread the same themes. So when you go, mm-hmm. even though sometimes the source material is different, he he still sort of hit upon all of those things that fascinated him. And it didn't doesn't make those movies the same, but um, in a sense, like when we're talking about Vertigo and Psycho, there is some actual hard evidence that those movies are more related than what appears at surface level. Okay. Wow. Yeah a good question kevin it's a good question yeah i'd say that yeah.
2: possibly more than remaking it you could say that he was like a meta director making a meta movie that he saw across multiple films he kept sort of coming back to the same themes like an example i use one of my favorites is michael mann who keeps yeah. sort of making variation on his thesis about american crime and american law enforcement and the relationship to, and like that sort of if you look at Thief, that's like the urtext of that. And then he explores it in a lot of other films mm-hmm. like Manhunter, like Heat, like Public Enemies, Black Hat. Yes. He sort of keeps going back to that well and re- finding new angles on it. And Hitchcock, I would say, was the same thing. He had his certain sessions, yes. you know, all the tropes that we like to pick on, like, you know, domineering mothers and uh, voyeurism <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. But uh, he, he kept sort of working at it from So you could see that with the um directors sort of making this like meta movie across their careers
1: yeah it's well the said same Nick. thing
2: would same thing would go with let's just
3: do a little callback to our trading post episode chris where you had love affair signed by me and right this one i've mentioned multiple times to leo mccary remade love affair with uh an affair to remember and shout out to amy because amy likes that movie a lot and she That's another movie that I I really need to watch, but that's a thing. I mean, it's interesting to see what directors, if they want to pull out something new with a story that they had done from before. I mean, I prefer that over the plethora of remakes and sequels that we get nowadays. People shallow, they just with such a shallow vision trying to remake something like, say, take, for example, I don't know, Magnificent Seven it into something. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right. I mean, I haven't seen it. But you know,
1: what's the point? Yeah, (laughs) no, (laughs) Ben. I
3: was gonna piss off Ben with that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) To bring this full circle, though, (laughs) to make a recent, to make another recent example, it's uh, George Miller with Mad Max: Fury Road. With Mad Max, yeah. With Mad Max, like I mean, reboot slash remake. Remake, However you want to phrase that, maybe that's a little different. But I mean, I agree. Like
2: Fury Road is essentially just Mad Max Two. It's the same story about you know Max getting dragged into this dispute that he doesn't know and it ends with this big truck chase it's literally like the same story again. Pretty much, the because the yeah. film's so good, you know, who's complaining
3: it's right. the same as as uh road warrior which is i yeah. think my controversial opinion i think is the best mad max movie not fury oh, that's road it's gonna
2: say the for, same thing nick oh no i was actually referring to that but it's mad oh. max 2 in australia but it was called the road warrior Internationally, because they often, they didn't get Mad Max or they didn't like the name or something. Because there, so, there was no Mad sure, Max, yeah. so they,
0: yeah.
1: you couldn't have Mad Max <laughs> too. Yeah, good stuff, guys. Nick, uh, we got anything else? We, we, yeah, no, I was
0: going to ask Nick, what um, where? How did you watch this? Did you watch it on Tubi as well, or? uh no, it's, it was um
2: like it's it was on another Australian streaming service gotcha. as well. Um, so but a lot of these um. Again, these 70s and 80s exploitation films, not the easiest to find. There's a company here called Umbrella who are like sort of Vinegar Syndrome. They do a lot of luxury, you know, high-end ray releases of exploitation movies. And they're really good if you want a hard copy. I've got their version of The Man from Hong Kong with all the trimmings. But um, as far as like online stuff, yes, sometimes the... Pretty difficult to find. again, they said success in Australia at all, and it's I don't think it's that really well thought of. Um, and even Franklin, he sort of he had that success in America with Psycho 2, but in uh, after this and Patrick, he sort of never really made another film that sort of bothered mainstream attention i don't think he made this art house film called hotel sorrento that one of those like got good reviews but not particularly you know successful or anything so again it's sort of i get i find this era of australian cinema absolutely fascinating i love watching them. great to share them as well but um yeah they're, they're still like younger people i don't know that it would be harder to find and um There's not much cultural legacy of those. Like today, a lot of movies get made in Australia, but they often tend to be Hollywood productions taking advantage of the exchange rate, tax uh, benefits, locations and uh, talent. Right. Or these, the sort of there's these very dreary kind of you know government arts council funded films that like are sort of like the the not as interesting version of what I was talking about the Australian New Wave. They tell sort of emotional stories about modern Australia or Australian history, but not many of them are really that. At least to me, not interesting. But that's probably just because I prefer sort of genre films and something a bit more right. interesting. Like if it's a, some tale of like divorce and angst in suburban sydney sorry don't give a shit <laughs>
1: <laughs> fair enough you just want to have fun as you said before yeah yeah and uh,
2: like uh, i'll i'd you know watch the old films of classic hollywood or you know hong kong yeah. movies like yeah mm-hmm. so if it, yeah so it's hard to say like uh, again that to keep repeating the uh, that Not Quite Hollywood documentary, it was very important because it did raise awareness of a lot of this sort of, again, these exploitation films and introduced a lot of titles to uh, a new generation of viewers who obviously, like myself, weren't even born when this stuff was um, being put out there. So that was a really invaluable service. And I've used that documentary as sort of a kind of like a watch list. I think I've seen about 40 of the films that have been documented so it's been really good as a sort of a viewing guide saying you know these are the films that you might check out so
0: very cool i was just gonna (laughs) i like how i asked nick a question and we get from a to z and i'm like he's so quick man (laughs) 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 um i was just gonna plug the indicator powerhouse film i like that you uh you brought up umbrella i don't own any region b stuff because i don't feel like getting a region free player but clearly nick you are a uh a Blu ray or physical media collector like Kevin and I, you have a sickness as well, yeah, yeah,
2: not so much lately. Um, again, especially working where I do, uh, um, money's been a bit tight the last few years, so it's been a bit ease back on the collecting. Another friend of tonight's Max, he buys like Region B Blu rays. Uh, he was actually just telling me last night he's getting the uh, Hercules Returns, which is this amazing cult Australian comedy <laughs> film from 1992. That again, I really recommend Hercules if you want Returns. something very uh outre and Australian.
1: Yeah, it sounds that sounds amazing. Maybe. Yeah, sounds maybe.
2: <laughs> I should ask you guys sort of what's your experience with Australian films in general and this sort of era of genre or exploitation films? Have you seen we obviously know about the man from it's been mentioned several times, <laughs> okay. but have you seen any of the other sort of again action horror films or like whatever from this era? You know, I can't name that many off the top of my head, but
3: uh, Nick, you and Chris mentioned "Picnic" and "Hanging Rock," right? And that was uh, that's one that I've seen and one that I like. You, Nick, need to revisit. But apart from that, uh, stuff from say George Miller, of course, who we've already mentioned, and Peter Weir. Wire? Don't know how to pronounce. Peter Weir. Weir. Yeah. Not that much apart from them. Not that much, but I, I I can I can see kind of a similar aesthetic, like through a very grimy and dirty lens, is employed by uh, Richard Franklin. It, it it is quite similar to the way George Miller shoots his films, or really it might just be a a genetic trait as attributed to uh, Australian films, sort of a sepia tone, if you guys know what I mean.
1: Yeah, 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 and and Nick, I mean, you and I collabed on uh, Snapshot. Um, Which you have already mentioned, Kevin already mentioned Peter Weir. Now, is is Weir Australian or is he British? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, he, he, he is Australian. Australian. He's yeah, so a... I mean, yeah.
2: You've I was, was going to mention the
1: plumber. By the plumber. Him well. Yes, I was yeah. about to bring that one up. So for for Kevin and Ben, as a good recommendation, um, the plumber is a good movie. Um, the plumber, okay. It's that's also labeled as a horror. It's more of like a psychological thriller, right, Nick? That's probably yeah, more I accurate.
2: Again, very Hitchcockian because it just about all takes place in one apartment.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. It's a one locale oh, okay. sort of i sort of ordeal. It's it's very fascinating, and it's a it's a very thematically rich as far as observing um, like the social classes um, of Australia. But it's sort of more universal than that um, in a way. Just wrote
3: it down, adding that yeah. to the watch list. Okay, the plumber.
1: Yeah. Well. So that's. And then, and then, sorry. And before Ben goes, the only other growing up, the only main connection I had with Australia was quickly down under with Tom Selleck. And just um, had to take it. Uh, from. Just had to. Steal I, my I, I, okay, <laughs> you were you were about to say it. You were about to say it. I should have just let you talk. But go go ahead. Which ben. is you not a and, which is not
0: a Western, because it takes place in Australia. Yes, <laughs> but uh everyone's you know Simon since Simon Windsor's best work ever free willy of course no i'm kidding <laughs> it's it's lones- you know what
1: you bring up <laughs> lonesome dove lonesome dove is great
0: yeah but yeah quigley down under would probably be the only other like australian besides the main guy being t- uh you know the main character being an american by uh tom Selleck, which i love because of magnify <laughs> yeah besides that it's like the Proposition and, like, Gallipoli. It's like, all right, there's my yep. Australian movies.
2: <laughs> and just to mention, Chris, because also Simon Winsor directed Snapshot, that other one that we watched as well.
1: That's right. That's how he came up in our conversation, too, because yeah. um, I was like, I've seen that name before. And then I had seen he did, he did the Phantom with Billy Zane. Yes. <laughs> he yes. is the most eclectic <laughs> <laughs> catalog. I mean. Like, Kevin and Ben, if you look up Simon Winsor, which, Ben, I'm sure you have already, but. This dude has done superhero movie from the 90s with Billy Zane. He's done Free Willy. He's done some he's done the a, a solid Western uh, with Lonesome Dove. Shadow,
3: the, you mean, are you talking about the Shadow with Billy Zane? Yeah, with the
1: no, Phantom. The, Phantom. Billy Zane.
3: the Phantom. The Phantom. The That's what I'm confusing the two. Yeah, the Phantom. Yeah. I've seen it. Yes. I, a, I saw it when I was a kid. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All done by Simon Winsor, who is an Australian man. So I hi, highly recommend you sort of parse through his uh catalog. I mean, for me, he makes he makes a great movie. Um, he's just sort of all over the place um, in my mind, kind of like a Robert Wise director where he would uh, go into genres and he'd be very good at at entering all of these genres and never really sticking with one um, really sort of the only kind of comparison I can make. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anthony Mann kind of sounds like kind of like, like a... Anthony Mann. Yeah, well, that
0: kind of yeah, reminds
3: Rob- me. Kind of reminds me of Edward, Edward Zwick because he he did that famous uh, Civil War movie with Matthew Broderick and Denzel Washington and uh, Laurie, and then and, and then he did. Uh, there was that 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 romantic comedy with Hall and Hathaway, uh, Love and Other Drugs. Later on, he he it was just he's just kind of an odd like you have character actors, but then I think you also have character directors. Directors and they That's do a- these they, they, yeah they do these weird they do these weird tangents with their styles. I was like, okay, he did that, <laughs> kind of throws you off a bit.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. But Winsor's a great recommendation to look into. Not that he makes Australian films, but um, to look at an Australian director. You're talking
2: about like Peter Weir, Simon Winsor. Obviously, we're talking about um, Richard Franklin. The common denominator with all of these is that they started off in Australia and then moved to Hollywood. Because, again, that's the center of the filmmaking. Right. And that's where the money is and you know again you're talking about such a small audience here and very scant chances for success so yeah it's like and um it, you might also like you'll see um famous other names like cinematographers or something like uh, if you watch like predator and you see like don uh, the cinematographer donald mcalpine was it um he was a uh, started off in australian films too and uh Okay. So many like big names in uh, in in like Hollywood got their start in Australia, but then they moved to Hollywood as well. <laughs> so, Peter, again, Peter Jackson
1: is Peter Jackson Australian. Peter Jackson.
2: Well, he's, New he's New Zealand. He never left. He he knew, he, was he always who, stayed there. He okay. stayed there. He made Hollywood come to him and basically kickstarted uh, the film industry to the extent you know, like now, like James Cameron lives in New Zealand and he made there. <laughs>
0: That's all the uh, money, all the money is in Hollywood. Well, at least it was, I don't know how it's yeah. going now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we're, it sounds like Chris was ready to, rec- uh, to rate <laughs> a, a, a few minutes ago. Uh, I'm ready yeah. to rate too, but I, I do want to say yes, thank you very much, uh, Nick, for the recommendation for road games, 1981. Yeah. Also known as oddly enough in other countries, truck driver. Makes no sense, because he's not a truck driver. <laughs> he's a man who drives a truck.
1: Yes. Yes. And maybe we yeah. plug your your uh, social media, Nick. Would you like to tell the people? We didn't rate, Chris. Yeah. I
2: know, but we can plug him <laughs> first. All right, if you want to plug yeah, That's I'm illogical. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a letterboxd, uh, giving many, many long opinions of films, most of them involving John Frank. I spent like... Um, <laughs> I just wrote yes. 2000 words on uh, the path to war wow yeah, a, yeah. and also if, if anyone's interested in my uh you know writings on politics and history i can be found at uh, a stand defiant on substack as well so and there's a link to that on my letterbox box page so i'm trying to get some right. uh, trying to do some actual professional writing as well as you know just tossing on about movies
0: and we'll we'll put the uh i'll put the link in the description of the episode so they'll they'll have the link
2: thanks 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 yeah. for that yep all right so yeah, thanks for coming on nick
0: nick you uh provide your rating first for uh road games
2: yeah so i'm at sort of three and a half out of five for this one the other thing that we sort of again if you wanted to get into the weeds of it that even though it was a, an expensive film for australia at the time it still had fell behind went because of this the complexities of shooting all across the Nullarbor Plain plane all across australia a lot of stuff had to get cut out. And as we discussed before, I think with that sort of you have an actress like Jamie Lee Curtis, not particularly well used. You, there should have been perhaps a rewrite once she was cast to expand her role. So I really enjoy the film. I think it's very distinctive and there's lots to like about it. So I'm at three and a half. Um, not quite a
0: four star movie, but
2: pretty close. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
0: It's ingrained That's in of it. Nick's head, too. It's three and a half stars out of five. Just, just, guys, yeah, he got for,
3: that rating some,
0: some listeners are like, three and a half out of ten? You were just praising it, you know? So. <laughs> no, no, out of five, yes. Yeah. Kevin,
3: yeah, yeah. aka seven out of ten for yeah. Nick. Seven. Do oh, you do out of ten?
0: Yeah. yeah, just yeah. whatever. It's all good. All right, okay. Kevin.
3: We do it because Ben wants to be done that <laughs> <laughs> way. My turn. It's going to have to be the same as Nick's. So it's a seven out of ten as well.
1: Yeah, Chris. I'm. I'm. I'm actually. I'm on board with them. Um, Keach is the man, and he's almost mm-hmm. the reason that I want to rate this higher. Um, but yes, this is a seven out of ten movie. I think all yeah. the way, any way you cut it. All right.
0: Well, I guess I'm not the most positive anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm going <laughs> Uh-oh. six, six, six and a half. I, I just. I didn't really mention it, but I think the the finale with the. The, f- the final fight was a little too abrupt and lame for me. It was just a little, I'm like, mm. come on, you got Grant Page. You got to have some better stunts in there, but it's all good. <laughs> so, yeah, so- he's a, he,
2: he wanted to do the world's slowest chase, uh, so that's why I get stuck in the alleyway and they, <laughs> they're sort of crawling. But again, because of losing days of shooting, he couldn't quite get all he wanted The climax as well. And I agree, it's a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, but, you know
1: we didn't even get to talk about the climax, and it's it's really freaking fascinating that it just takes place in an alley. He's trying trying to ram a truck in yeah. this really tight space, and it's a very peculiar sequence. I mean,
0: uh, the movie's free for our American listeners on Tubi. They should go watch it. This is a recommend. It's a six point nine, which is still a recommend for the Searcher score. Nice six. Yeah, wow. That's
3: still, that's still a watch. Yeah
0: nice so chris. nice chris it's on yeah, it's, it's on tubi
3: I... and it's on it's on youtube as well if you are subscribed to youtube oh it's on if youtube you there on YouTube. you go yeah it's on youtube yeah so if you want to avoid the tubi commercials you can watch it on youtube
0: awesome well Sport tubi yes <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch, i'm watch. a big kind fan of, kind of tubi chris, yeah, chris yeah. wants yeah. us to watch the commercials so the tubi stays alive yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <Do> <laughs> i watched it on tubi on, yeah. Yeah. i won't lie um oh. yeah. But yeah, so again, thank you very much, Chris, for inviting Nick. On. Well, Nick kind of asked, but uh, I'll, I'll thank Chris <laughs> anyway for ho- hooking us up with I appreciate a, uh, that. a very good <laughs> guest. Uh, we would probably have Nick back in the future because, you know, Australian accents make everything better. Like the episode is just so much better. <laughs> it's, all,
1: it's already um, better. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Thank, thank, thanks so much for thank the for uh, on, invite. Um, re- it was great to talk about this and, uh, again, you know, get uh, an international perspective on these films as well so uh yeah thanks thanks so much for having me on
1: we actually for as small as our audience is we actually do have a bit of a foreign we have a foreign audience a little bit which is kind of cool so because i'm so cultured and
0: sophisticated
1: it, yeah because it's ben we have ben on with our in our show here so him and his hong kong movies that's, that's which it, we so. haven't which we haven't
0: covered yet but we are going to very we shortly you yeah. will
1: that will. that and jackie chan i keep hearing all this jackie chan talk and we still haven't covered a jackie chan movie. I can
3: only say the same the same the name so much because you gotta get christened <laughs> jackie chan as well so yeah. yeah
1: all right yeah nick thanks for coming on man uh we loved having you on hope hopefully we do it again and uh this is this is great
2: No, thanks thanks so much. It's been great. Cheers. All all right. right, For
0: Nick, good morning. (laughs) Yes, good morning.
3: (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Searchers Podcast. If you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies, you can find us on Letterboxd, ben at giant 13 chris at Ziglit underscore mer and me at kevin chan find us on spotify and apple podcasts and on searchers podcast.podbean.com until next time people